Buffalo Bills, somehow, ridiculously so, came into Minneapolis, Minnesota, against a team that was favored 16 and a half points by 16 and a half points, and they managed to not only win, but they outright dominated them. And in probably the most surprising victory of theirs that I've covered since the Green Bay game where Bakari Rambo picked off Aaron Rodgers twice. Welcome in everybody to the Bills Beat Podcast. My name is Joe Biscaglia. With me, like always, is Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. The Bills, of course, getting that 27-6 victory, getting their first win of the year, the first win of the Josh Allen era. And I think we... We saw a lot of different solid individual performances that we're going to get to, like Josh Allen, like Chris Ivory, who showed some spark in the uh, in the passing game, and the defense. Uh, a lot of different elements to that defense helped bring it along. But I think the only place we can start is with Josh Allen, because we saw him work efficiently, Probably the most efficient he's been since that Browns preseason game when he was working with the second-team offense. I mean, last it, last week it was kind of all over the place, and he didn't really get comfortable until the second half. And in the first week, he was already mop-up duty, so you can't really uh, put too much stock into that. But it seemed like he was within himself. It seemed like he was calm, collected. And I think the most important part about all this was that there was a definitive perhaps marching order from Brian Dable saying, get the ball out of your hand quicker than you have been, because that has been a big part of the issue with protection, with everything, and bringing on a lot of sacks, not uh, pushing the ball down the field like they have. So I think uh, it was a step forward for Mr. Allen today. Yeah, I think the lasting image of this game will be Josh Allen, (laughs) Anthony Barr. Can I say I mean, we're explicit now, so <laughs> I mean, you went there. He um, hurdled him <laughs> in the middle of the field. I don't think anybody knew that Josh Allen would have that in his repertoire. He got up there. Dude, he Giannis antetokounmpo him. Right. Yeah, he, he dunked on him for a first down when they really didn't need him to do that. At, at that point in the game, you're probably... You know, it's not the fourth quarter. It's not late in the game. You're probably saying, eh, maybe you want your quarterback to not, you know, <laughs> leap in the air and uh, open himself up to major injury. But I think that was the story of Josh Allen's day was the fact that he just didn't care. Mm-hmm. He didn't care that he was in arguably the toughest environment in the NFL uh, here at U.S. Bank Stadium. He didn't care that, you know, he was playing against a really good defense with uh, you know, all sorts of pro bowlers running around the field. And he didn't really care what point in the game it was, what, uh, you know, what was going to happen to his body. He was diving head first all over the place. He was running, extending plays. There was a, we've talked about how he's somewhat naive almost to where the, he doesn't get nervous. He doesn't, you know, things aren't too big for him. Mm-hmm. I was talking to Micah Hyde after the game and he's like, I don't think he realizes what he just did. He's like I, I. He's like maybe in ten years he'll look back and understand like what he just did, who he did it against, where he did it. But he definitely didn't understand it while it was happening. And I think, look, he wasn't perfect today. He's, you know, this doesn't just like last week doesn't mean he's a bust. This doesn't mean he's on his way to being the guy. But 
he showed you why the Bills liked him. You know, his athleticism, his ability to extend plays, his willingness to push the ball downfield uh, and, and really be fearless. And the energy he brought to the team, I think, was real uh, on both sides of the football. The stat line was, you know, okay. But if you watched the game, you understand that, that he made some plays that, um, you know, people aren't used to quarterbacks making around here. Right. Completed 69% of his passes. Not that bad. Josh Allen. And if you round up, it's actually 70, but hey, 69 and a half. How about that? Um, but yes, Allen, I think this is kind of what we saw from him in the preseason, too, where it just seems like he's kind of a goof, right? And he's naive, but in that way that you like them to be naive and. For him, when when he's got a situation like today here at U.S. Bank Stadium, which, by the way, is a palace. It is freaking gorgeous here. Um, probably one of my favorite indoor stadiums, if not my favorite indoor stadium in the league now. Anyway, Josh Allen came into this place, and he, he just operated within himself, operated within the offense, did exactly what Brian Dable asked of him, which was to get the ball out of his hand quickly and he did it effectively I mean there wasn't a ton of passes deep down the field the two that really come to mind were the two to Robert Foster but other than that it it wasn't too much but mostly he just operated the offense efficiently and it was about as flashy of a game manager style of game that you'll see and I know your your eyes probably rolling to the back of your head's like, oh, game manager is that is that what he? No, I mean no. This is just a baseline for him to show that he can come into a hostile environment like it was early on in this game and to perform in that way. And that's a, definitely a good sign for the Bills as as they go forward here. And then it's something to build upon. I mean, he's not a complete product by any means. He definitively showed progress in getting the ball out of his hands because that was a major, major thing for him over the last two games. So now, where do they go from here? I mean, try and push the ball down the field, continue to have that internal clock like he had today with the the offense as it was dictated for him, and try and push the ball down the field even a little bit more, taking those concentrated shots like they did down the field hoping that your receivers are going to hang on to the freaking ball, Kelvin Benjamin. So I think this is a good step for him and definitively a step in the right direction. But he's he's not done. I mean, he can come out next week against a solid Green Bay team and, you know, be as he was against the Chargers in the first half. You'd be like, oh, well, now I don't know what he is. But he's a young player learning how to do it, and this was a great sign, I think. I think so. I mean, probably more encouraging is the way the defense played because you saw what happens when the Bills play good defense and they play offense on schedule and they're not, you know, going three and out and, you know, keeping the defense in the game for long stretches of time. But also that was the first time the defense got to play with a lead. And, you know, we got to see what happens when the Bills defensive line pins its ears back and really gets after it. And I think 
that's a, a big part of this as well because Josh Allen getting a touchdown on that first drive, which he got some good luck. You know, he got Certainly. a roughing the passer call on third and four where they would have been off the field. Uh, Chris Ivory got face masked for, I believe it was a face mask or an unnecessary roughness, something, another 15-yard penalty that got them into the red zone. So there were a few plays that helped them out. I think there were 25 yards of penalties on that drive, but he finished the drive off with a touchdown, and then the defense is able to go out there and get a turnover. And just like that, the Vikings are are the team playing where the Bills have been playing, you know, behind schedule where, you know, the other team knows you have to pass the football. How about Jerry Hughes today? Mm-hmm. I mean, this might have been – he plays a lot of good football games, but this was as good a football game as he's played – in quite some time and uh you know they had him you know this is where we see the offseason additions paying off because jerry hughes is getting you know single coverage on the outside he's getting one blocker man up uh you know all game long for the most part and when you have one guy on jerry hughes you're going to be in trouble i mean I, I just don't think they had the horses to to handle Jerry Hughes one on one. I know you know they they wanted to. Uh, they they had confidence in their tackle, but he got owned all day long, and it was coming. It's not from as though everywhere. he's a bad player though. No, Riley he's Wright not. was a really good. And that's tackler. what he Jerry Hughes said him. after the game. He, I I asked him about that, and he but he said I like when the other team has a, a tackle that they believe in that they mm. like because then I can get one on one, and that doesn't happen often. You know that where I have a running back all game chipping me in the ribs and doing different things. He said, you know, I don't care who the tackle is. If he's good enough, they're going to leave him on me alone, and that's all I want. And that's what happens when you have Trent Murphy, uh, who's starting to look a little healthier, playing the way that he is. And I thought Starlo Tulele was causing a lot of problems for the Vikings in this game. You mean Starlo Tackle Lele? Uh, the guy who, you know, he doesn't get any tackles. He's not on the stat sheet. Most people, he's probably a little overpaid, whatever. Yeah. He was pushing the pocket. He was uh, causing a lot of problems on the interior. And then, you know, Lorenzo Alexander was surprised. He's like, there were times when they were double teaming me. Mm-hmm. He's like, I, I, and I'm not sure why, because we have Jerry Hughes. So everything worked out really well. And you had Tredavious White in the, the defensive backfield locking down Stephon Diggs. And uh, the safety's playing really well, making life even easier for the pass rush, a few more blitzes from the linebackers. All in all, a great defensive game called by Leslie Frazier, by the way. Yeah. Imagine that. Yep. Sean McDermott, uh, even though there were some, uh, you know, some words being thrown around like, oh, what's the point of Leslie Frazier? Well, I mean, he did call a defense that came very close to shutting out the opposing team. I mean, for all intents and purposes, it was basically a shutout because it was over when, when they scored the points. But, you know, I guess the the Bills should have been shut out that first week, too. So I guess uh, you can't technically call it a shutout. But, yes, Leslie Frazier called the defense and uh, probably a little bit of vindication for him, uh, it being in this building uh, and in this city of the place where he used to be the head coach. Um, Want to get into some of the individual performances defensively as we kind of go along here, but I think... The most glaring statistic that has not been in the Bills' favor whatsoever in the first two games, but it was definitively today. Average drive start. The Bills started from their own 40-yard line. The Vikings, their own 18. I mean, that 
that just goes to show you the Bills were forcing turnovers. They were getting the Vikings to go go three and out, and so the field was flipped on the Vikings so they couldn't get uh, out of the mud. And even if the Vikings did get a first down or two, they were still pinned back pretty deep to where they had to punt it and couldn't even think about field goal territory or anything along those lines. They couldn't be aggressive. I mean, this is this was a, a total effort by the Bills defensively, and it was a good answer because I thought they were going to struggle against the pass today, and it was all on the pass rush. I mean, they had winnable matchups at center, um, so when you saw uh, Star Lele getting that sort of performance, I mean, you have to think, all right, he won his matchup with the center, Jones, and then at right tackle, Trent Murphy was uh, was beating the right tackle Hill, who was dealing with a foot injury earlier this week. And then you have Hughes dominating his matchup with Riley Rife, and you have a team in the Vikings that didn't know what to do. They the Bills forced fumbles, they forced poor throws that led to an interception. I mean, this was just it. It all started with the pass rush. And that's where it has to be. That's why they invested as much into it. And which is why it was such an utter disappointment through the first six quarters of the season because they were nowhere to be found. And once that kind of opened up and they started winning their matchups, that's where this whole thing has turned. And now you see the formula from last year come back again a little bit. You see the defense setting the pace and now with actually some better players on the defensive side of the ball. And you see them getting to a spot where maybe they can influence the game a little bit more because they know they don't have the horses on offense. I mean, everybody knows that. Kelvin Benjamin isn't catching passes like he normally does. Robert Foster can't catch a pass when it hits him right in the hands. Zay Jones was nowhere to be found through the first three quarters. Same thing with Charles Clay. I mean, when you have that type of discrepancy of talent from the defensive side of the offense you need your defense to lead you and they did today they did and and it helped out the offense in a lot of ways because they're getting those short fields and it's putting them in manageable situations but you're still looking at an offense that has some flaws I mean I didn't know that Josh Allen would be able to play a game like he did today this early because it was about making the smart throw, the quick throw, um, the right throw, 70% of his yards came after the catch. That's a and hell of a stat. That's not necessarily what you expect from Josh Allen, who's known for airing the football out, pushing the ball downfield, which he did at times today. He m- made an effort, almost was picked off on one deep shot to Robert Foster, had another one that Robert Foster should have caught, had a couple of deep throws to Kelvin Benjamin, um, but... For the most part, it was taking the smart throw. He had that one where he dumped it off to Chris Ivory, and Ivory ran 55 yards. So, I mean, you're looking at a guy that stayed within himself in a game where it would have been easy to let everything that was going on influence him. You know, it was loud in here, really loud. And this, At the start it was. It got start, real quiet. Yeah, it got real quiet, but... <laughs> It was loud, uh, that first drive, that third down when he was sacked. I mean, he was getting hit and bouncing back up. And I think for him to be able to play that kind of game when the defense played the way it did, maybe this means, you know, the Bills aren't going to catch 
teams napping anymore because it yeah. did seem like they caught the Vikings napping pretty hard today. But still, you know, this week people were talking about the Bills as, you know, I, I was asked a couple times if the Bills were the worst team of all time. Like if this team was, you know, as bad as the Bucks in the 70s. And Gotta I'm, love I'm, the and, usual overreactions and I'm like, to start it's, the season. You know, it's been two weeks. I, mm-hmm. I don't think they're a good football team, but I, I'm not going to sit here and, first of all, I didn't, watch the Bucks in the 70s so I don't know I mean sure they're not very talented and you know this Bills team probably isn't heading to the playoffs but I mean at the same time you know I don't know that they were historically bad and this shows that they're not going to be you know like the Browns uh, and roll over and lose a ton of games week after week and even when teams are napping they can still catch a win against this team I don't think that will be the case I mean you're looking at a Bills team that played one of its best games and a Vikings team that played one of its worst games on the same day. So, you know, are the Bills going to roll into Lambeau and, and you know, uh, punch the, the Packers in the mouth this way? Probably not. Yeah, but, I wouldn't think so. Um, but it's still a, a very encouraging sign from a team that has not shown a lot of those signs through two weeks. And given where things were, you know, at halftime last week and even after – the game last week, the way people were talking about this team, you have to feel pretty good uh, if you're a fan now, at least knowing that Sundays might be worth watching and Josh Allen is showing some signs of growth already. All right, so I have to issue an apology to a, a specific member of the Bills team, but before we do that, let's get into what we're working on what we've worked on everything that's uh that we've we have to offer so why don't you go first Matthew what's new at the athletic yeah we've got quite a bit coming at the athletic this week I think I teased last week that Tim has a a pretty big story coming uh and that I believe is publishing tomorrow he and I were both here in Minnesota so we're going to have plenty of game coverage uh about I mean this is a historic upset uh of epic proportion. I don't think a 17-point dog has ever won by this many points. Um, And so we'll have plenty of coverage here from Minnesota. And if you missed it at the tail end of last week, Tim and I both went back and forth on, I think, an issue that it would be interesting to revisit now. It was, you know, Mm -hmm. should Bills fans trust the process? And I think there were a lot of people that weren't trusting um, at the end of last week and maybe more so coming back around, uh, trying to see if they can they can get back on that process bandwagon, get them ahead of that process. And so uh, we wrote about that last Scratching week. My neck. We'll have uh, plenty of coverage leading up to what is now a, a pretty big game for the Bills heading into Green Bay. So you can go to theathletic.com slash Bills Beat uh, and get 40% off a year subscription. Gets you in for about two ninety nine a month. And if you're into it i mean you get all teams and all leagues so if you want to see what the vikings you know the viking side of this and kind of you know revel in that a little bit you can head over there uh and i'm sure there's going to be plenty of uh panic going on on at, at the athletic minnesota so the athletic.com slash bills gets you in the door i hope somebody talked to anthony Barr and and just asked him what was going through your mind when you see this 240-pound dude Giannis you. I'm I'm fascinated to see uh, what what he says about that as we kind of go forward in the week here. And over at WKBW.com, 
I uh, haven't written them yet, but you'll be able to find my seven observations by the end of uh, Sunday evening. Of course, uh, lots to talk about from this game, and we're getting into some of the uh, some of the takeaways on this podcast, but I'll be uh, fleshing them out a, a bit more. And, uh, of course, you can uh, check out uh, all the stuff that I do during the week, including the, uh, the All-22 stuff that I do on Tuesday, which uh, where I grade every single player. And that leads me to my next point, which, by the way, all that stuff is at WKBW.com. That leads me to my apology. One week ago today, I sat here on this very podcast and I called for one player in particular to be benched. That player was John Miller, the right guard of the team. I thought uh, initial impulse of the game after seeing a a couple of plays that didn't really go his way in that Chargers game, I thought to myself, uh, here he goes again. He, He was not good against the Ravens. And uh, it seemed like it was heading down a similar path. But upon going back and actually watching the film and seeing the job that he did and the confidence that he played with, I was completely wrong about that. So Miller more than earned his keep at, uh, at the right guard spot. And, uh, you know, I think it was very much warranted that he was in the starting lineup again this week. And really, I think the offensive line outside of the center spot has been a lot better than people give it credit for. Uh, and specifically today, you didn't see anybody talking about the offensive line outside of, uh, you know, Groy or Bodine missing missing their spots. But Dukas probably had another really strong game today. And hear his name once. Um, Dawkins seemed like he did a nice job on Daniil Hunter. Um, and then Jordan Mills had a little bit of a better matchup against Weatherly on the other side. But really, this offensive line, it's not a finished product by any means, and they're probably going to add, be adding quite a bit as they go on here after this season. But the job that four out of those five guys have done, you know, I, 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 think, I think they deserve some credit for, for what, they, what they've done. You know, week one notwithstanding, everybody flopped in week one. The last two weeks... They've looked pretty good. They have, and I think that was a big part of this game as well. I mean, you see what happens when you're not playing from behind and you're not, you know, the other team can't just sit back and tee off on you. Mm -hmm. And you're keeping them guessing with play action passes and quick passes, getting the ball out quickly to, you know, running backs and tight ends and using, uh, you know, heavier sets um, with – two tight ends often, which they did today. And give Brian Dayball some credit, yeah, I think. Yeah, definitely. Because the, the first 15 plays, the, the opening script was on the money. And I think he made this very manageable for Josh Allen and the rest of the offense. They didn't have LaShawn McCoy and didn't seem to miss him a whole lot. Uh, you know, Chris Ivory had a, a huge game. And I, I think the offensive line definitely deserves – a bit of credit uh, for the way that they played against the team that normally, you know, has a crazy pass rush. They were getting sacks, you know, they were getting in and and making plays on Josh Allen. But uh, I think, you know, overall, they're starting to come together a little bit better. I still think they need upgrades almost across the board uh, in some spots. But, you know, I think Bodine played okay at times you know I'm gonna I'm gonna all this stuff you have to kind of go back and and watch and check out but as a whole everything was going 
a little bit better. And I think a lot of that falls on the quarterback. A lot of it falls on the coordinator. And that just made the game more manageable for the offensive line. They're all playing complimentary football really across the board. I mean, you were sitting there for Brian Dable. Normally, he's a very affable yet reserved sort of press conference speaker. But when it came to the sacks and the offensive line, it seemed like he got a little bit more stern, a little bit more red-faced, and said, you know, probably not uh, not uh, half of those sacks were the offensive line's fault. And he, he felt very strongly about that. And I think what we saw out of his game plan today was designed to give the offensive line some help uh, as opposed to the other way around. Because I don't care who you have on the offensive line, all five players are not going to be able to keep the pocket clean for as long as Josh Allen was holding onto the ball. Or even if there were some overload blitzes, I mean, the pass protection from the tight ends, Marcus Murphy has really struggled in that area, um, which is why probably we saw Chris Ivory get as much run today as we did. So when you have all of those things kind of working against the offensive line, you, got, you have to help them out a little bit too. And that's the play calling that we saw today, getting the ball out of Josh Allen's hand quickly. And, you know, it, it, was, it was smart to do that. And I think the Packers are probably going to come to expect that. Now, the Packers do not have as good of either a secondary or a linebacking core as the Vikings do. So I will uh, await ferociously to see how Dable attacks this specific uh, uh, defense. But I, I thought he did a really nice job in the offense in totality. Now, the, uh, before we get into the, uh, the, the post-game award section, we mentioned this guy briefly. But... Kelvin Benjamin. Got it. I mean, there's been a lot of positives in this game. He's a bum. Kelvin Benjamin. And he's probably going to be part of the awards. But we're just going to get this out of the way now. What do you do there? I mean, here's some examples. Dropping two passes that he has known to catch. One of which, it was kind of a, a back shoulder comeback where Xavier Rhodes was kind of all over him. But he got both hands on it as he jumped back. That's a ball that your six foot five, almost six foot six receiver who can't gain separation is supposed to win nine times out of ten. Then you have the slant that should have been caught for a touchdown that he didn't, that took away from Josh Allen's overall total of the day. And then later on in the game, I mean, even when the Bills were up... I, they were probably up either 20 or 27 points by that uh, point in the game. And then I look from my seat in the press box as he's coming off the field, and he is, like, furious for some reason, to the point where Terry Robisky, the wide receivers coach, had to come over and, and talk with him, and another coach went over and talked with him. I don't know why he was so furious, but he was, like, demonstrative, like, whipping his hands in the air and, and just, it's like, dude, you know you're up 20 to 27, which at a certain point, it's a good thing because he's still got his edge, but you also have to think frustration is flying in there because this team, for the first time offensively, looked great. And he's the number one receiver, right? He's the number one receiver, right? He wasn't today. And, he hasn't been and all he season hasn't been. long. Today, I mean, this, I think, 
tells the story of Kelvin Benjamin. He had three catches for 29 yards today. Those are both season highs. <laughs> oh, God. So, I mean. <laughs> Bringing it. He's, he stinks. Uh, like, he's, he's not good. He what? shouldn't be here beyond. The trade deadline. Beyond, really beyond the trade deadline yeah. and certainly not beyond 2018. He's not going to get a lot of money. No, the way I don't, he's I don't playing, think so. I don't see a big contract. And his, his attitude? I mean, he's known to have some attitude issues. He's known to have some weight issues at times. And in a contract year, he's not playing well. On a day when they passed the ball well, they didn't do it through him. You know, they're not feeding him the ball because every time they do, he doesn't come down with it. I mean, in big spots, he's not coming down with the football. So there's there were times today where I thought maybe we ought to see a little more Robert Foster on the field. Same. And you know what? Robert Foster, he struggles at times to come down with, with catches. I think his catch technique is a little wonky, and he needs some work. He is the only guy on this team that can separate vertically, though. I know. And he does it with consistency. Did it right down the middle, and, and Allen undershot him, and then he did it again on the sideline, and then he, he They're just missing hands. on those. Yeah, and I, I think they can connect. Uh, you know, And they're... They're smart to get them. They're getting them on the field. Not mm-hmm. to say I'm, you know, bringing up something revolutionary here. They're they're picking their spots with him, and they're smart with it. But I mean, at some point, you have to look for another number one receiver, another guy that can play that role for you. Because it's not going to be it's this season. not Kelvin Benjamin. <laughs> no, certainly, you know, I don't think Robert Foster is going to emerge yeah. as a one by the end of the season. But undrafted guys have, you know, caught on quickly in this league before, and it's kind of the Josh Allen theory where you throw them out there and, and let them kind of go through it. And they're being smart with it. They're getting them out there. But, uh, you know, Zay Jones still isn't showing a great deal. Um, he's had some moments where you, you think there's something there. But You know, he was the leading receiver coming in today. He was. He, he was, was the leading receiver each of the first two weeks. Which in is, yards, and then he was the co-leader for catches with LaShawn McCoy with So five. he's he's five. had some moments. Um, he's He's not a number one either, doesn't look like that's going to happen uh, unless something clicks unexpectedly. But you got to just look around for some different answers because uh, Kelvin Benjamin, uh, he's kind of a black hole, you know, mm-hmm. throwing to him uh, in this offense. And uh, there's not a whole lot of options for no. where else you go with the ball or who else you put on the field. And that's going to be the challenging part. Uh, maybe that's one of the most encouraging parts for Josh Allen is – he did this with Kelvin Benjamin, Zay Jones, Chris Ivory, um, you know, Andre Holmes was out there for a lot of plays. Jason Kroon caught the touchdown. So right. uh, he did this with kind of a, you know, a slapstick group uh, thrown together. Uh, you know, really, there hasn't been a lot invested in this wide receiver nope. group. And when, maybe when there is, you'll see some better results and – uh, you know, more passing yards through the air instead of a, a bunch of yak yards like they got today. I want to get back to Benjamin in just a second, but you you said something that reminded me. Just another tip of the cap to Brian Dable because on that Jason Kroom touchdown, that was done because of all the plays that they used to set it up. Because the linebacker in coverage, I think it was Gedeon, um, he saw the... It was either the wide receiver or the running back going to the swing pattern. And it looked like 
wide receivers were kind of like angling themselves to block, completely came away from his zone. Kroom just did a nice little um, outpost, post out to the to the sideline in wide open space. And it was it was an easy touchdown. Allen sold the hell out of it because he did the pump fake to the swing pass and everything, and and the linebacker totally bit. And so that's how that was done. And it's because of what they had been doing earlier in the game. So that's that's tip of the cap to Dable. Now, as far as Kelvin Benjamin is concerned, I think it's kind of along the same conversation as what we had with AJ McCarron, because when we first talked about the idea of dealing McCarron, which, by the way, I don't think anybody talked about that before we did, uh, because it, at that point he was still thought to be you know, the, the front runner and everything like that. But I think with Kelvin, you have to come to a point where you sit there and ask yourself, what is doing more of a service to our team? Having this guy who is supposedly a number one receiver being demonstrative in a 27 to nothing blowout on the sidelines because he wasn't happy about something not making the catches that he's supposed to as the number one receiver i mean he's he's not signed past this year you might be able to get something out of him at what point does it still benefit you to keep him on your roster, especially when you can potentially get an asset for him. And I know you can't trade away everything from your team, but when you have kind of a sour apple, especially with what they're trying to build, with who they're trying to build, it just it doesn't make a ton of sense. And this thing is going to have to click for him within the next two weeks or so. Because if it doesn't, the trade deadline's right around the corner. And then I would tend to think the Bills probably don't have an interest in bringing him back, the fact that he hasn't uh, shown up to this point in time and shown a chemistry with Josh Allen. It's probably the opposite of that. So if you're Brandon Bean, who is pretty quick to want the deal, just about anything that doesn't fit in with his long-term vision, I, I don't know that I'd wait much longer than a week or two to, to try and get him off the roster. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what you can get, I guess, is is the problem. I'd take and a five. Yeah, a four or a five gets you almost back what you paid, and you got something out of him, I yeah. guess, last year. Sure. Uh, you know, he, he made a few plays, but he's not doing you much good. I guess the only hesitation to trade him is knowing that there's not much else behind him sure. and saying, hey, our rookie quarterback needs somebody. He you know needs, what? But – Go and sign dudes off the practice court. Right. I don't care. Find some young players that you can think that might have some potential to grow in your offense because this is the year to find out if they do have it. And he, I mean, I could understand the argument where you want a guy like Kelvin Benjamin just just for Josh Allen as a rookie to to get, you know, just to have somebody out there that's done it and that can make plays. But the way he's playing right now, you might as well have Robert Foster or Cam Phillips uh, or whoever running around because – they're not they can't be a whole lot worse than what he's doing and if you're focused too much on Kelvin Benjamin you know maybe Josh Allen is is thinking he's got to find this guy if he's acting the way he is on the sidelines then you're then you might be doing him some harm and and maybe he goes out there with some young guys and just spreads the ball around and finds some chemistry and who knows maybe once Ray Ray McLeod gets healthy there's a way to move him around and and try to get him on the field 
uh, and, and see what he can do because he was out there. Yeah, he was uh, on there today, the first play. <laughs> um, and I think he caught the first pass. He did. And, uh, so you never know. I mean, there's there's not a whole lot of downside, I think, of getting rid of Kelvin. Benjamin. No, and I think coming full circle with this podcast, it all goes back to a point you made early on. Josh Allen doesn't care who's around him. Clearly, he doesn't care because Wyoming, he basically had nobody his final year there to throw to. I mean, they consistently let him down there. And so he's kind of used to that sort of thing. He just, he just kind of goes about his business, and that's what the Bills like about it. I mean, he, he doesn't get too up or down. I mean, at his post-game press conference, it was like Sean McDermott could have scripted it and been like, yep, here's what you're going to say, kid. Go do it. And, I mean, he just did it off memory. He's and the it, most aw shucks. Yes! Know, shrug, shrug of the shoulders. Okie doke. Boy, I love me some football. Fun being out there with the boys. But he, he, he does love football is yes. the thing. And that's what a lot of his teammates were saying was, like, you could just tell he loves the game. And I think that's where, you know, you it, it really was contagious, uh, you know, for a lot of these guys out there. And you can tell that they believe in him. They, they, they talked about that's what we need at the quarterback position, mm-hmm. you know, and – I don't think they're trying to diss anybody or anything like that, but they're like, you know, it makes such a difference when you have uh, a quarterback who inspires that type of belief and is willing to, I mean, he was diving. There were times where he's diving head first when I'm just like, what are you doing? Just, (laughs) you know, like in the middle of the field, just diving. And I mean, it's little stuff. It's not, again, I don't think, he was perfect as a passer today, and uh, a lot of what they did was good scheme and uh, guys making plays after the catch and things like that. But he's also extending plays, hanging in the pocket, being willing to get hit and get right back up. He almost enjoys getting hit. He's uh, he's a strange bird. Yeah, he is, and the Bills like it. They love yeah. it. Yeah, they, they sure do. All right, let's get into the awards uh, section here. Let's start off with Come On Darlene. And I I know I have mine, but uh, but by by all means, you you lead us off here. Yeah, I've got a I think I have a a decent come on Darlene to throw in the bracket. Uh, there was a guy sitting in the section in front of us in the press box. You may have seen him. He was sitting kind of in front of you. Uh, he had a customized Vikings jersey that said Packers suck as the name, and the number was sixty one. And I thought. Come on, Darlene. What an opportunity to have Packers suck 69. And he blew it, really. I don't know why he chose number 61, but a humongous missed opportunity. So come on, Darlene, to Packers suck fan, because huge, huge blown opportunity. Uh, 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 no comment. Um, and I'm glad you're thinking outside the box with this, because I had forgotten. I, I texted Matthew uh either yesterday or a couple days ago, because I had forgotten what he said after week one, and I was hilariously reminded of the upper deck man-boob man at, at Bill's Ravens. So they, I, I don't know that... A big uh, sleeper in the end-of-season tournament. Yeah, right? I don't know that Packers suck guy will, will make it far in the tournament, but hell, he's going to give it his honest effort. Or maybe he won't, based on his jersey number. Um, my come on, Darlene, is going to go to the officials today for calling 
what is clearly an incomplete pass, a fumble. Not once, but twice. They went and reviewed it, and they're like, yep, still a fumble. Uh, no, Josh Allen actively pushed it forward with both of his hands, and you're somehow going to call that a fumble? Like, I, I don't know that they understood the rules there. That's clearly something they work on. Sean McDermott challenged it, rightfully so. It should have been an incomplete pass. They still ended up with a touchdown from it, but still, it should not be putting the Bills in that bad of a spot because the officiating got it wrong initially, and then to double down and say, yep, still a fumble. Dives. Read the definition of a pass. What is a pass, Matthew? What I is was a catch? confused what by is that a pass? one because he did, he almost hot potatoed it. So don't you have to possess the ball in order to throw it? Well, that's what they had been practicing, and I've seen other teams do it too, to where it's it's considered a pass if the running back or the wide receiver catches it. And it theoretically should have been. I think, may, and we didn't get the full explanation. My My thought is that maybe Josh Allen didn't possess it, and you can't throw a pass if you never possess the football. Well, but they, they were wrong. But they didn't. Uh, they didn't exactly, you know, give too thorough of an explanation. No. And you know, no. So it goes. So it. All right. Um, I forgot what. Uh, which did you have last week between Vontae and Dree? I don't remember. Dree hasn't shown up the entire game, and Vontae in the second half. Why don't? Uh, why don't you take Dree? I'll take Vontae. Let's see. It's hard today because a lot of Bills showed up to play. Yeah, um, sure. They had – do they really have a candidate for the Dree Archer oh, Award? Do we on. give it out just for the sake we've, of it? We've talked about him. I'm trying to uh, – I, I guess you give it to Kelvin Benjamin. Yeah. I mean, it, he's kind of the layup. We're probably going to have to rename it the Kelvin Benjamin Award <laughs> after not too long here because it seems like every game he's just – playing like a dink but you know yeah i guess kelvin benjamin gets it for his world beating three catch 29 yard season high performance sure sure kelvin benjamin of course he's going to get a post game award because he should be getting a post game award my uh my vante davis award which by the way did we give that to vante i don't think we gave it to vante davis we gave the vante davis award to someone else oh leslie frazier that's who it was right um, all right, the Vontae Davis Award goes to the player or person that does not show up in the second half of the game. And for me, I think I'm, I'm going up, I'm going with Ramon Humber because I don't know why the Bills were continuing to put him out there for Matt Milano. Milano was dominant today, and we haven't said his name really a lot in this podcast. I, I thought both he and Tremaine Edmonds had a lot stronger of a game this time he around. He had a sack, the, an the, interception, the, yep. and a fumble recovery yep. in this game. Yep, and so Milano was great. I don't understand the fascination with Ramon Humber. He's a liability in coverage. He misses tackles, and he showed to do both of those things in the second half. So in a, so in a way... He did show up because you remember him for that, but he might as well have not shown up in the second half because that's kind of when the Vikings were getting their yardage and they got a couple of first downs because Humber wasn't able to make the tackle. And so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to Humber. And Bills, come on. 
don't overthink it. You didn't overthink it at, at fourth and goal when you had Josh Allen QB sneak it over the top. Don't overthink it with Matt Milano. He's clearly head and shoulders better than Ramon Humber. Just stop. Let Humber take the special teams role. Let the young guy grow. Let him evolve into the potential that we saw from him last year. It's it's really pretty simple. In my I wonder mind. if they gave Ramon Humber some run because he's a Minnesota native. Yeah, but what about last week? Right, they've been giving him some run, and they figure eh, we'll keep him in the rotation because he grew up in Minneapolis. And he does have a whatnot. big uh, TC tattooed on his back. He does as well. It's huge. It's Minnesota like, boy. It's almost the entirety of his back. It's you betcha. It's alarming how how big that tattoo is. All right, so Matthew taking the early flight out of Minneapolis. Lucky. Yes, sir. Uh, it's a great. He'll be city. back in Buffalo before before midnight. Great city. Maybe, probably in my top three in the country, I think. Dude, it's great. I think it's the best state in the country, for sure. It's um, it's the type of city, it's huge, but it doesn't feel like it. And I think being a Buffalo guy through and through, I think, for me, that is important to see out of a city. And anytime that there's that element to it, I'm like, oh, this place is great. It's kind of like a giant Buffalo. Yeah, in it a is. Lot of ways. It, remi- it reminds me of it. A lot of good, except for the Fortune 500 companies. Well, that's a, a bigger, <laughs> you know, yeah. version of Buffalo yeah. with yeah, know you know mean. a bit more robust, uh, you know, business life. How, but how dare you, know. you bring up the word robust in in the wake of Russ Brandon? But great place, great stadium. I wasn't sure what to expect from it because, you know, last year in Atlanta the stadium was nice but a little lifeless. This place was rocking, really Dude. cool atmosphere. Uh, one of my favorites that I've been to. Same. Um, yeah, so A-plus, especially getting Minnesota in September was a, a huge score. Oh, yeah. uh, and next week, off to Lambeau Field, where I know you've never been there. Yes. The correct. last time I was there, do you know what happened? I do, I do know what happened. <laughs> the last time I was at Lambeau Damn Field. Damn it! Blaine Gabbert had his first 300-yard game. So I think a good omen for Josh Allen. Uh, A young Blaine Gabbert went and was gunslinging around at Lambeau Field. The Jaguars lost that game. I believe Donald Driver might have had a touchdown. John Kuhn was getting in the mix. Damn you, Fairburn. But Blaine Gabbert was slinging the ball around. I don't know. Has he ever had another 300-yard game? Not really sure, but... He had one that day. His team won uh, nine to six today. But he didn't finish the game. No, his team won. He <laughs> gets guy. he gets credit. He started the game. Was he winning when he came out? Does he get the win and Marcus Mariota gets the save? I think they were up like six three or something. I don't know. But hey, Blaine Gabbert somehow finds his freaking way on this podcast one more time. All right, Matthew, you've got a plane to catch. Thank you as always. Thanks to you all for listening to another episode of the Bills Beat here, however you do it, whether it be on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. Sadly, still no Spotify. What up, dudes? What's the deal? Um, We'll next be speaking with you on Thursday ahead of the Bills game against the Green Bay Packers, which looks a lot more attainable now after the way things kind of went today. But, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how they handle a better quarterback in Aaron Rodgers next week. 
All right, so the Bills win 27 to six. They are now one and two on the season. We will talk to you on Thursday. See ya.